How's everybody? Good morning. All right, so let's look at Second Peter, chapter one. <clears throat> How's everybody feeling? Good. Second Peter, chapter one, verse two says, uh, "Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given us all things." that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Notice that statement, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, what very reason? that you've become a partaker of the divine nature. Also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble. Notice what he tells you to do. (laughs) I mean, I love this passage, but notice what he tells you to do here. He says, you add to your faith. So in other words, faith is the entry point And faith is about a decision that you make. It's about something you believe. It's about your own consciousness. Then he says that God's already decided you could have everything. He's already given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. Then he talks about the divine power that's working in you. Talks about the promises. And then says that you and I, through faith, become a partaker of the divine nature. But then says, add to your faith these things. And if you add to these things, guess what? You're expanding your ability to partake in the divine nature. But it's something that you do. It's something that I do. So I I I want you to think about temples... For a minute, I said this in the first service, but I think it, it bears repeating. We say that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We say things, God does not dwell in a temple made by hands. We'll come back to that in a second. That's something Paul said. God does not dwell in a temple made by hands. And we just take that very flippantly because we don't really have temples that serve as examples for us. And so we think temple, we translate in our mind church. Church is not a temple. Even Catholic churches, Eastern Orthodox churches, they're not temples. But we have got in our minds somehow temple and church equated, and we say God doesn't dwell in a building. (laughs) But it kind of misses the point. So we have to understand some things about ancient cultures and what what a temple was. A temple was literally the house of the God, but but it it was the place upon earth Three primary things happened there. The first thing is, it was the location upon the earth that was the concentration of divine energy. The concentration of divine energy in the earth. The altars there were also the gateway 
between heaven or the metaphysical world and the unseen world and earth or the physical and the seen world. So you have a concentration of divine power and energy. You have a gateway into another world or the gateway between the worlds, portals. And you had a priesthood whose job it was to feed the God. See, we we don't understand. We think sacrifice, I don't know. We look at sacrifices in the Bible from our post-Reformation Christian perspective. But in ancient cultures, the reason you killed animals, the reason you brought cakes and all that stuff, is you were feeding the gods. The reason you did burnt offerings was because the fire would transform it from physical materiality to smoke which was spiritual and the smoke does what ascends so you were transforming physicality into spirituality for the purpose of feeding the god who existed in the temple (laughs) where there was a concentration of divine energy got it so three things Concentration of divine power and energy, a gateway between worlds, portals, and service that would keep that energy strong by feeding the God. Now, take that to what Paul says and understand now your body or you are the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Peter's using this same concept when he's saying grace and peace be multiplied to you and by the divine power that's in you all things have been given to you already and that you're to be a partaker of the divine nature so that was the other thing the king the king would be anointed in the temple and become the image of God upon the earth become the partaker of the divine nature. The priests, when they would eat, they would become a partaker of the divine nature. That's what it meant to be holy. Holy did not mean moral. <laughs> not not saying that they were immoral, but I'm just saying that, that that's what we have equated it to mean in our culture. If you're holy, you're moral. No, if you're holy, you're a partaker of the divine nature. You can be moral and have nothing to do with the divine nature. Being moral does not make you holy. What makes you holy is being a partaker of the divine nature. Right? So you see these principles kind of brought out. Now, I want you to keep in mind, I'll come back to it in a minute. You're the temple, but Paul said, watch this, let's just do it now. Paul said this, God does not dwell in a temple built by hand, by hands. He did not say a temple did not have to be built. He's very specific. God does not dwell. He didn't just say God does not dwell in a building. God does not dwell in a temple He said, God does not dwell in a temple built by hands. And the presupposition and the implication is the temple still has to be built. So who's the temple? 
Who's, help me out. Come on. Who's the temple? You are, right? Which means then that you are to become the concentration of the divine energy, the gateway between the worlds, and there are things that you have to do to feed the divine energy inside of you. But these are not things that we are taught. Ultimately, your temple has to be built. But your temple has to be built without hands. And this is what Peter's talking about. Giving all diligence to add to your faith virtue. And to add to your faith knowledge. And to add to your faith self-control. And to add your... He's talking about states of being or states of consciousness that make it that make you hospitable to the divine presence that can then flow through you, that then can be concentrated in you and flow through you as a gateway or a conduit between heaven and earth. So you have to begin to think of yourself as a channel of divine presence and power. You have... Jesus said it this way, out of your innermost being what will flow rivers of living water. Rivers flow through what? A channel. It's, it's harder now with satellites and, you know, iHeartRadio and podcasts and iTunes, but back in the old days, you used to have to pick up a radio station. What was it? It was a channel. To pick up a television station, what was it? It was a frequency, it was something being sent out, but you had to fine-tune the frequency in order to have it come through. And the closer you got it to being aligned with that frequency, the less static you had. If you were not quite there yet, you had noise. So this is the idea, that you have to build yourself as a temple of God. You have to do it. Peter Peter said, you do these things. You add to your faith these things. This is not something that God is going to do for you. It's one of the things that we really have to shake off the passivity and just think God just kind of comes and goes and flows whenever He wants to. And that's absolutely not true. God abides in temples that have been built, but they are temples that are built without hands. They are temples that are built through states, through abiding in states of consciousness. Because divine energy and consciousness are connected. Energy, I'm gonna, we were, let's drive this on. Energy and consciousness is connected. Alright, help me out. In the beginning was the Logos. What is Logos? It's the consciousness. It's the mind of God. And out of that consciousness came what? All things, everything that has been made, nothing that has been made that has been made, right? Was made without the Word, right? And in everything was life. And life was the light. So in that consciousness, in the flow and the stream of that consciousness, there is a flow of life and there is a flow of energy. There is a flow of light. You you, you cannot separate them. So therefore, if you're going to have a concentration of divine energy, your consciousness has to be right. And then to be a channel of the divine energy, you have to direct it. Otherwise, it's just expand. It's a lake. You know, he didn't say the Holy Spirit's going to come here and be a lake of water. If, if, if you're a river, if you're a river, it has direction, 
It has boundaries and it has movement. It has flow. It has power. So I want to look at how do we become then, how do we build, what can we do to begin to build within ourselves the kind of character, the kind of consciousness, the kind of states of being that need to be built in order for us to be hosts of the divine presence and to be channels through which the divine presence and the divine consciousness or the divine mind. See, we we, we say word and people think this book, in the beginning was the word, but to the Greek logos, in the beginning was the mind of God, the mind mind of the universe. I don't get upset when people say the universe answered my prayer. The universe gave me something because God created the universe to respond to you. And the consciousness, the word of God is in the entire universe and is holding the entire universe together. That's the whole point Paul's making in Colossians chapter one. Uh, All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made. You know, uh, all things were made uh, by him and for him. And in him, all things cohere in him, all things uh, uh, hold together. So it's the divine mind that is permeating everything in the universe. Everything in the universe draws its existence and holds in a pattern of being so that there's not chaos and disorder because of the Logos, because of the mind of God. So when we talk about God, we're talking about a universal mind that permeates everything, that gives life to everything, that gives energy to everything, and you are completely and totally connected to it. And, and as, as a partaker of the divine nature then, what we are supposed to be able to do is move out of our limited egoic state of consciousness. The little I. The little petty I that gets upset about petty things. Because the its discomfort is 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 messed up, or its opinion gets challenged, or it's a belief system, or or the the little eye that gets offended, the little eye that gets disturbed, the little eye that gets distressed by the person at work, or people in church, or or what somebody's saying on the television, or who's running the country. That that is, and we get stuck. The little eye that's worried about my car and my house and my family and my kids and my wife. And that occupies all your consciousness. So then you just become this sort of river of you. Out of you flows a river of your egoic mind. Your thoughts, your opinions, your ideas, your offenses, your hurts, your slights, your bitterness, your story. Just gushing out repetitively. Over and over and over again. Because you're stuck in this mind-body loop that, that is part of this physical body. So you are a temple, but you're not built. And your doors are closed. And very little of the divine can flow and operate through you. And so the key is to be able to expand beyond that. Expand your consciousness. To connect with... So, so again, yes, the universe is responding to you because when the universe responds to you, God responds to you. Is, is, is God, am I saying God is the same as the universe? No. I believe that God is both imminent, meaning present within, and transcendent, meaning above and beyond. So everything in nature contains God, but God contains everything in nature. Including you. 
But without doing work on yourself, you'll never be a partaker of the divine nature. And if you're never a partaker of the divine nature, you will never experience for yourself all things that pertain to you concerning life and godliness. You'll never experience that abundant fruitfulness. You'll just keep on this treadmill of egoic thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking. Something happens to you and you feel it and you think about it. And the more you think about it, the more you feel it. And the more you feel it, the more you think about it. And pretty soon you're just on this this hamster wheel. This loop. You get stuck in these loops of consciousness. And so real spiritual work is learning how to break those loops of consciousness so that you can expand beyond the little you into the bigger you. Which is the you that is connected to all things. That is connected to the source of all things. Let's do it that way. If, if all things were made by Christ and Christ is in you, then you are connected, your, your big eye, if you will, your bigger self is connected to the source of all things. If all things are held together by Christ and Christ is in you, then you are held together with all things. Think about the potential of that. And energy follows what? Ah, see, you forgot already. Consciousness, mind. So the more you think about your problem, guess what you're doing? You're giving more energy to it. When you find yourself in a place of resistance, pushing against what is, guess what you're doing? You're, you're feeding it. You're feeding the gods. You're feeding the gods your energy, and your God is whatever has you upset. Your God is whatever has you offended. Your God, watch this, is whatever is controlling you. Whatever is controlling you, whatever you're serving, that's your God. It could be your offense. It could be your bitterness. It could be your money, it could be your job, it could be your worry, it could be your grief, it could be your joy. Whatever's controlling you. So what I, what I don't think we've understood about the, the gospel, when, when Paul talks about principalities and powers, is this okay? When Paul talks about principalities and powers, you have to understand the secular world and the spiritual world were not separate in Greco-Roman culture. There were so many spirits, I mean, you, there were so many gods you have no idea. Because you had the national gods, you, you had, you could think about, uh, your planets, Jupiter, Mars. Right? Jupiter was the Roman version of Zeus. Mercury, messenger of the gods. Venus, the god of love. Mars, the god of war. You got it? And then you had, but then the emperor represented the sun, re- rep- represented the chief god upon the earth, right? So you had a state cult, which meant that to be a Roman citizen, you had to worship the state gods. But then you also had local gods. So you find in the Bible, Ephesus was a city to Diana. So if you went into the city of Ephesus, there's a temple to Diana you had to pay homage to Diana. Then you had household gods. 
And the reason, the, the, the primary reason for adoption in the Roman world, adoption kind of first started happening in the Greco-Roman world. The whole reason for adoption was not because you wanted to care for these poor little kids. They were not kind, soft-hearted people in that way. This was a hard world. Kids died all the time. And they weren't going to just take you in because they would have another mouth to feed. It's not like today. When you got adopted in Roman culture, you got adopted as an adult. This is why when you read about adoption and orphan and all this orphan spirit garbage that went around in the church is just completely unbiblical. The, the, the people in the Roman world, they, they had no concept of that. None. They were not worried about your little emotional <laughs> hurts and wounds and <laughs> all that stuff. You were adopted in your 40s or 50s, and here's why you were adopted, because the the father was dying and he needed someone to carry on the service to his household gods. He owed it to his ancestors to leave a seat in place that would carry on feeding and serving the household gods. Everything was connected. There wasn't secular and spiritual. It was all interwoven and connected. So principalities, back to principalities and powers, you think they're demons. Because we created a myth about Lucifer at some point. I'm getting myself in trouble now. (laughs) Lucifer means to be a light bearer. This is another message for another time. But if all you want to be is a light bearer, you'll end up falling into darkness. If all you want to be is a light worker, you're denying the balance of your shadow side. And it will take you down. Yeah, just think about that. That was free. But somewhere along the way, the church, you know, took that, took a few verses from Ezekiel and Isaiah, and then now we have whole structures of principalities and powers and whole maps and, and what's ruling over this city and what's ruling over here and all that. That, that was the furthest thing from Paul's mind. Furthest thing from his mind. Oh, I opened a can of worms now. I'm going to do this next week anyway for Halloween, but. <laughs> Satan in the Bible just means an adversary. Hasatan. It's not a, it's not a proper name. Hasatan is the adversary. But it gets translated since the Latin with a proper name. Satan. You know who the first Satan was in the Bible? You know who the first Satan was that was mentioned by... Let me, see, now, when, when I went to Bible school, they said there's this thing called the law of first mention in the Torah. The first time a word is mentioned, it tells you something about the meaning and interpretation of that throughout Scripture. So, for example, the first time a lamb is mentioned, Cain brings a lamb and offers it to God, right? And then the first time sin is mentioned is between Cain and Abel. Sin lies at your door, Cain, right? So then you follow that line of thinking all the way up to John's Gospel where John the Baptist introduces Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the law of first mention was very important, right? Guess who the first Satan is in Scripture? No. The angel of the Lord who is standing in opposition, standing as Hasatan to Balaam and his donkey. When Balaam goes to curse 
Israel. God tries to stop him. He puts the angel of the Lord as a Satan before him. So the first Satan, first mention of Satan in the Bible is the angel of the Lord stopping Balaam, the false prophet, from putting a witchcraft curse on the nation of Israel. It was satanic power, you could say it this way, it was satanic power that prevented Balaam from cursing Israel. How do you like that? Guess who else is called a Hasatan in the Bible? The great King David, who was a man after God's own heart, was a adversary, Hasatan, to the Philistines. This is why your translators play with your mind. Because they don't translate it as Satan. They say the angel of the Lord stood there to oppose Hasatan. But somebody goes to mess with Job, some angel spirit being. David was a Hasatan. David was a Satan to the Philistines. You could even say if God opposes the proud, God is a Satan to the proud. I'm messing with you now, aren't I? This is next week's message. I'm already getting into it. Are are you breathing? So it was never a proper name. Satan in the book of Job is an angel that's part of the divine council who does the bidding of God. He's the prosecuting attorney in the earth who says, God, he's doing God a favor. He's saying, God, I don't think Job really loves you. I think he's only serving you for his own ego needs. His own ego. Because you've blessed him. Because he's got a good life. And so what does God say? God takes him up on it and says, well, let's find out. Go do this. Yeah. So in the Hebrew Bible, there was no dark power. There was no, there was no duality. In the book of Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, one of these verses that we don't like to look at, God says, I created the light and the darkness. I created good and evil. I created the destroyer to destroy. In other words, I'm the source of all things. So when Paul was talking about principalities and powers, he wasn't thinking about Satan from the Hebrew Bible. He wasn't thinking about the serpent. He wasn't thinking about these fallen beings. of de- He wasn't thinking about a rebellion in heaven and a third of the angels falling. That wasn't in Paul's concept. Paul was dealing with, and they didn't understand stars were, what, did you ever see that, that thing in Lion King? You know, what are the stars? Oh, I think they're floating balls of gas in the sky, you know. Ancient people didn't understand that. They were gods. They were powers in the heavens that determined your fate. Much the way some people approach astrology today. <laughs> Zeus was a heavenly power that was represented by the earthly power of Rome or Jupiter or whatever. You, you got it? So whatever earthly power was controlling you was a principality. That's why he said the principalities and powers crucified the Lord of glory. He didn't think, oh, you know, this wasn't a Carmen song. Yeah, some of you two don't even know what I'm talking about. 
And Paul, when he's writing that, you know, in 1 Corinthians 2, if they'd known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He wasn't thinking about Carmen and the champion and Satan coming out to see if he could whip Jesus. The principalities and powers were the Roman government and the Jewish government that were representing Yahweh and the pagan gods of Rome. So what does this have to do with being a temple? So what the gospel is saying is you have to be freed from everything that is controlling you. Anything that's controlling you is a principality. There are religious principalities. Believe me, you've seen it. You disagree with them and holy moly. We don't come around because we love each other. We come around because we agree and it's us against them. It's not about love. It's about the moment I don't agree with you. I'm out. That is a principality. That is controlling people's minds and thoughts in an egoic way. Because if we can't disagree with each other, come on, guys. You know what I mean? So that thing is a principality. And the moment it gets challenged, look what happens. But it's not, you know, you cannot organize. Think about this. How does the powers of darkness organize? If this, Okay, let's do it this way. Is this okay? This is going a different direction than I wanted it to. Oh, Jesus. He's, he's messing with us again. I'm sorry. What's, what's the Luciferian principle? Does anybody know? I will exalt myself above the throne of God. I will sit in the temple of God. I will show myself as God. In other words, it's the promoting of self in superiority to others. How in hell do you organize demons if they operate off of a Luciferian principle that says, I'm the greatest? And I'm going to do my will. How, 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 how does that work? How do you have an organized system of government in the heavenlies? It can't possibly work. Because the mo- there's no motivation to cooperate. There's no motivation to get along. There's no motivation to help each other out. There's only service to self. See, you're surrendering. Here's what happens. Because we have this imaginary devil who sits on an imaginary throne someplace with imaginary principalities and powers that are attacking us. These these imaginary spirits are imaginary... Some people have imaginary friends. Some people have imaginary enemies. It's all the same thing. And so we abdicate our power as divine image bearers. We abdicate our power as partakers of the divine nature. We lose sight of the fact that divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness so that we can escape the corruption that is in the world through lust, not through the devil. And we play the victim. Oh, the devil attacked me this week. My, 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 my refrigerator broke. Oh, the devil attacked me. My coworker, you know, spread lies about me. 
And heaven forbid you identify with Job. Who are you that God's saying, hey, have you seen my servant Aaron down there? No. Fierce God, excuse evil, does great. I mean, who are you that God's going to single you out of six billion people? So the devil has to come attack you and you have the sufferings of Job. Give me a break. I would never preach out of the book of Job because the Bible says God worked with the word confirming it with signs and wonders following. I thought, who wants that mess confirmed in their life? All right. So what happens is you abdicate your power, the devil's attacking you, pretty soon you're just a victim with a big old, it, it comes out of a place of spiritual pride and ignorance where you think you got a big old target on your chest. There ain't no coven worried about you. There ain't no witch's coven out there cursing you because you're having such an impact upon the world. Give me a break. I got better things to do than that. They ain't worried about you anyway. <laughs> That's just, all of that is Christian propaganda. It's Christian propaganda. All right, I better get off that. Because, where am I going with this message? This feels like a train wreck. Just try it for, just try it for 90 days. Go on a devil fast for 90 days. Seriously, just fast from devils. For 90 days and see what happens. No devil attacking you. No shadow under the bush. Your refrigerator breaks down. It's because they don't make stuff like they used to make it. Cloud of depression comes over you. It's, it's your stuff. Own it. Deal with it. You've tried rebuking it, casting it out, binding it, pleading the blood over it. Everything you could think of anyway. Try owning it. Just fast from devils for 90 days. See what happens. Don't pray to them. Oh, we don't pray to demons. Yes, you do. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Who are you talking to? Yeah. Thank you. She said yourself. You're talking to your imaginary friends, enemies, friends, imaginary. I don't know. All right. And there was silence. And I mean, that that is that is will shift your worldview, right? All right. So let's come back to building a temple. So what what needs to happen? First thing you need to understand. Okay, there, there's a temple in heaven. Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, you can, you can look it up. The temple in heaven was opened up. And there was lightning and thunder and power. Right? Because remember, the temple was a gateway. So the book of Revelation is showing you. And, and remember, Moses got the pattern for the temple from what he saw up there. Right? So in that sense, when Jesus receives the Holy Spirit and the heavens open, he becomes the pattern. But remember, you're seated in Christ. 
in heavenly places. Colossians chapter 3, remember? Since you've been raised with Christ and seated with Christ, put your mind on things above. Oh, what's he saying? Direct your consciousness to connect with the you that's in the higher place. Or what some people call your higher self. In other words, you have a self. You, you, you have, you have a consciousness. Let's do it this way. You have an egoic mind. Everybody understand what I mean by egoic mind? It's the self-centered mind. It's a self-centered mind that's living in this world in this very small identity, worried about what's going on with this life and this moment. All your petty opinions and hurts and slights and offenses and all that stuff. Ego mind, right? Then you have the mind of Christ, right? That is the mind of the higher self that transcends this world and this life that you connect with. And because that self is in Christ, then that higher self, if you will, is connected to an even greater level of consciousness, which is the universal mind, which is the mind of God. And you go through transitions. The gateways into the heavens has nothing to do with your spirit leaving your body and going to some imaginary place. And by, I'm not saying heaven's imaginary, but I'm just saying people that engage in their imagination. And, and there, I have nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Just realize you're dealing with imagery. You're not dealing with the reality of the thing itself. But it can become a transition point of consciousness that moves you. So if you need to imagine yourself leaving your body, ascending into the heavens, standing in the courtroom of God or standing in whatever uh, before the throne of God to get out of your egoic mind, great. You just transitioned. You just left this body, this limited, self-centered thing. You transition out of that into a broader state of consciousness. Good for you. That's that's awesome. I mean, I'm being serious. But it's a state of consciousness. So the portal that has to open is the portal inside of you. The gate you have to go through to get into heaven is the gate inside your own consciousness. The ascent that needs to happen is a descent into deeper levels of the mind. How do I do that? One way to do it is working on becoming passive. Working on becoming passive. What do you mean passive? Receptive. So how do I do that? So so it's the opposite of striving. Oh, we're back to spiritual warfare now, aren't we? How many of you spent time in prayer? In the name of Jesus, Satan, we bind you. In the name of Jesus, we plead the blood. In the name of Jesus, we rebuke you. We, we command you to come down, dark print, whatever, all that stuff. Oh, we repent for the sins of our nation. Oh, we repent for the sins of our... Oh, I have too. It makes me sick to my stomach. And what did we ever get out of that? Nothing. We got a sore throat. We got a tired tongue. We got some physical activity because most of us couldn't sit that long. We walked. My God, I saw a guy on the internet. He's doing a six-hour prayer night praying in tongues. Come to church and pray in tongues for six hours. No, thank you. Holy moly. If it takes you six hours of praying in tongues to shift your consciousness, I got... To, guess what? I, I'm, I feel like the guy in the book of Acts that took him aside and said, let me show you a better way. 
I did all that stuff. And some of you did all that stuff too. And what would you get from it? Nothing. Oh, yeah, but, you know, this storm got sent off the coast of Miami or Houston or what, because we were waving swords. I remember that. There was, a, there was a hurricane supposed to hit Texas. And we're in this big spiritual warfare meeting. And they get out their swords. This is back in the 90s. you got to love it. They get out their swords and they're, they're swinging away and you're just like, you're just like, holy shit, I don't want to be up there. I'm getting my head cut off. So you're ducking. How many remember ducking flags? You know, worship people get in this ecstatic state with their flags and you're like, whoa, about got my eye poked out there. And then they figured it out. Well, push them to the back, you know, but then they're by the exits and you got to go to the bathroom. Like, my God, you got to take martial arts just to go to church and defend yourself against swinging swords and flags. And Some of you know what I'm talking about. So seriously, I'm in this meeting, all these leaders, and they got swords up there. And they're, and uh, what was it? No, it wasn't a, it wasn't a storm. It was a Marilyn Manson concert. We're going to stop that Marilyn Manson concert. That concert is not going to go on in our city, San Antonio. We're swinging swords and cursing Marilyn. And I think he he fell off. I think he fell off the stage and twisted his ankle or something. They had to cancel the concert and so. Oh my God! You know, look what we did. Damn, that's a lot of energy for somebody to twist their ankle. It's a lot of mental energy you're working up there to send the powers of darkness to cause harm to someone to be a Satan. And that's that's satanic prayer. Because you're trying to be in opposition to your opposer, so you're calling on the power of Satan. Hmm. In the name of Jesus. I need to shut up. Like, I'm just... Like, dear Lord. So, all that stuff, see, it's all out here. You realize it's, it's within, it's within, it's within, it's within. You, you, you can, you can shift your consciousness. You can, you, you can push your mind. And so, so really, if you want things to work for you, if you want to set up synchronicities for yourself in your life, you first become passive. See, that's where I was at. <laughs> We're doing all this activity. That's not passivity. That's us extending our will, extending our purpose, extending our energy, extending our manifestation. And sure, can we all work up enough thought and feeling energy in situations like that and direct it through the power of the mind at a person or direct it through the power of mind at a situation, direct it maybe even through the power of the mind at a storm or, or whatever and see results? Of course you can. Of course you can. But is it the divine nature flowing through you? No, it's not. Because to become the host of the divine presence, to become the channel for the divine to flow through you, you have to come into a place of passivity, into a place of receptivity, into a place where you consciously connect with the divine within you, where you consciously connect with the Holy Spirit and the river of God. But but you let go. See, as long as you're connected to all your outcomes, the ego is connected to outcomes. The ego can't just be happy. 
The ego has to acquire to be happy. The ego has to win to be happy. The ego has to have an outcome to be happy. And ego, the ego has to be in the right relationship, has to drive the right car, has to have the right job, has to have everybody. The, the, you want to know what the egoic mind is? Go read the book of Daniel and look at the, look at the king of Babylon. Who What did he do? He set up his image in his own kingdom and demanded that everybody bow down to him. And when, when the four kids, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and whatever, the three Hebrew children, when they didn't bow down, what happened? He got offended. And then when they refused even more, he got even more angry. That's your ego mind. And we all set up an ego image. We all set up a false image in our little kingdom, in our little sphere. And we blow a trumpet and we want everybody to bow down and worship it. And when they don't, we get really upset and offended and angry. And then we go after them. And you can kill somebody without killing them. You can kill somebody by talking about them and trying to ruin their reputation to other people. You can kill somebody by cutting them off and saying, I'll have nothing to do with them. You just murdered that person in your heart. Well, I'm just going to avoid them and have nothing to do with them. Well, you used to be friends. They might as well be dead to you. You might as well just go Jewish and tear your clothes. And refuse to let their name be mentioned or talk to them because you've murdered them. You don't have to throw them in a fiery furnace. That's activity. You got it? There is, it is possible to be happy and do things for the sheer enjoyment of enjoying them. It is possible to just let go of outcomes. When you let go of outcomes, you let go of the ego mind. There goes 99% of your prayer life. (laughs) I'm not saying that you can't go for outcomes and direct energy towards outcomes. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm saying when you are so invested in the outcome that your world gets rocked if it doesn't happen, that is a problem. That is not... Letting the divine flow through you. So you get in a restful position, you get in a receptive position, you acknowledge the Holy Spirit is in me. Oh, that's too basic. I just could hear somebody saying that. Give us, give us something complex. The Holy Spirit is within me. I love what Augustine, one of the things Augustine got right that I love. God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. So I'm acknowledging, I'm acknowledging the divinity within me. And I'm resting in it. I'm resting in the fact, what would happen if instead of being invested in so many outcomes, because see, that's the small I. What happens if you begin to identify with the larger I that's okay with anything? That can be okay with anything, that can have the power to overcome anything. If I get sick, I'll be okay. If I don't get the job, I'll be okay. If the relationship doesn't change, I'll be okay. And you just, you rest, and you're receptive, and you let all that stuff go. And until you can reach a place of, re, of passive receptivity, the divine cannot flow through you.
So you come to that place where you let go and you let God. But not the God in the sky, but the God within you. I let go and let God. Whatever happens, God in me can meet that challenge. Whatever happens, God in me can meet that challenge. So Paul said, I know how to be abased. I know how to be successful and I know how to be broke. (laughs) I know how to have abundance and I know how to have nothing. Here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When you finally believe that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, life is no longer that big of a deal. Not saying, you know, I'm not, if you're, you know, if you want to go out and tribulate, go ahead. I'm, I'm not encouraging that. <laughs> I mean, you should go get the best you possibly can for you. Right? But if you're so attached to having the best that you are going to fall apart if you don't get it, you are not building a temple in which God can abide. But once you're in that place of receptivity, if you can look at it this way, you know you've made the connection. Do you know, do you know when you've made the connection? Do you know when you've rested enough inside, you've reposed enough inside, you've disconnected enough from the egoic mind that you're just in that place of still waters, green pastures on the inside? Then you have to use consciousness and willpower. See, here's the paradox. You have to use consciousness and willpower to direct the power of God in the direction that you want it to go. Towards the outcome that you want to see. You're not attached to the outcome, but you desire the outcome. And you send forth your Mind into that situation to alter it, but it's not your mind, it's the universal mind, it's the mind of God, it's the mind of Christ that you've become receptive to. But without the projection of mental energies, there is no application or direction for the power of God. That's why in the book of Acts, Peter would say to the dead girl, Tabitha, I say to you, arise. Or was it Dorcas? I think it was Dorcas. Lady dies. They go get Peter. What does Peter do? He prays. What was he doing in his praying? Oh, we're going to raise the dead. Oh, okay, here we go. Ready? Come on. Let's, let's, let's do this thing. Come on, Jesus. Oh, I'm groaning on the inside. Oh, groanings that cannot be uttered. Help us, Jesus. Oh, maybe he was in the divine courtroom. Maybe he was in the courtroom doing whatever you do up there. I don't know. I never got that teaching, so I don't know what you guys did up there. But I know some of you, you know, watch this. You were in the courtroom doing whatever you do. So, you know, pleading the blood. I don't know. Making your case, writing it out. I don't know what you guys did. Getting a scroll. I have no idea. Maybe that's what Peter was doing. Or maybe he was bringing himself, maybe he was feeding the God within him. Maybe he was coming into a place of rest and feeding the divine nature within him. And when he made that connection, then 
He extends his mind, watch this, and his will. It was the strength of his will that brought life back into that person. That's why his shadow could heal. He must have done a lot of work in the courtroom. Get that shadow going. Jesus. I know, I'm upsetting the whole subculture within Christianity that is sub. So you, you, you tap in almost energetically to the power of presence of God. You learn how to tap into it energetically. Beyond words. Beyond words, beyond concepts. Feeling. Emotion. You tap into it. Vibration. Subtle energy. And then you put a thought form with it. And you send it out into your future. You send it out into the universe. And through the power of your will, All right. So if you don't take anything from this, realize the stones of the house that God dwells in is your own states of consciousness. And the more you spend time in turmoil, the more you spend time in fear, the more you spend time in anger, maybe you can use those things to build a temple, but we don't. We don't use those things as fuel to build a temple. We waste our energy on those things. But for sure, when you spend time in compassion, you spend time in gratefulness, you spend time in rest and peace, you spend time in joy and ecstasy, even just enjoying life and engaging life, and you realize, I'm going to do something for the enjoyment of it. Man, if you don't get anything else, here's, here's what most of us do. I don't feel joy. I have to get this outcome in order to feel joy. So I pursue the outcome so I can feel good. I don't feel peace, but I have to get this outcome in order to feel peace. So I'm going to pursue the outcome so that when I get the outcome, I can feel peace. How's that working for you? Because even if you get it, you feel joy for a moment, and then you got to go get the next one. Then your lover boy 80s song, Everybody's Living for the Weekend. Or we're working for the weekend or whatever it was. <laughs> right? Right? Okay. Well, whatever. Anyway, you can YouTube it if you... Everybody's working for the weekend, lover boy. Remember that? They always played it on Friday, 5 o'clock. Every, every rock radio station, 5 o'clock on Friday. Everybody's working for the weekend. Remember that? All right, anyway, I better show up. But that's what we do. We, we go after these outcomes and then we get them and we have this passing experience and then we don't have joy anymore. Then we don't have peace anymore. So now we got to figure out, we got to set up the next thing to go after. Right? Or sometimes we get it and think, well, that wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be. We went to a Halloween party last night. I thought, well, that wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> 
my costume was like a sauna, man. I was 10 minutes in that costume. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I'm going to pass out right here. I'm going to pass out and people are going to think I'm just playing a trick or I'm just doing some Halloween, something. I'm just, I'm playing dead. I'll be dying, suffocating under my mask and nobody even know till the next day. It's time to go. Get up, Aaron. <laughs> Quit playing. Come on. Quit messing around. Come on. It's time to go. Anyway. All right. Sorry. But what if you found out, what do I enjoy doing? What do I enjoy? And you just start doing something for the sheer enjoyment of doing it, not attached to any outcome. I would enjoy this. I'm going to do this. I would enjoy being this way. I'm going to be this way. Like, like, like you find those energies within yourself and then you allow those energies to flow out. You know what you're doing? You're building a temple. You're building a temple for the presence and the energy of God. Like Eric Little in the movie, last movie reference, last reference. (laughs) Like Eric Little in the movie Chariots of Fire, when I run, I feel his pleasure. He didn't have to win the race. He didn't even run the race because his, his honor for God would not allow him to run on a Sunday. He ran for the sheer pleasure of running. What if you just play for the sheer pleasure of playing? All right, I need to quit. Okay, one last thing. We talked about all this spiritual stuff, but but part of the problem with Christians is they don't want to be human. They want this superhuman experience so that they can almost escape the human experience. And they tell you every human pleasure is evil. If I were to stand up and tell you, God wants you to do this. If it feels good, do it. Some of you would fall over backward in your chair. That's not the ethic we learned. God wants you to have all these good feelings, but if it feels good, no, I can't do that. Because we, we've, de- we've so dehumanized the gospel that you think you're just fallen. It's not about being fallen. It's about growing and expanding and evolving spiritually. It's about discovery. And it's about being human. Think about it. Yeah, there are some things about being human that stinks. It hurts when people die. It hurts when relationships die. De- death can function on any level. <laughs> It can be a physical death, it can be a relational death, it can be a death of a church, it can be death of a community, it can be death of your president is no longer president, <laughs> could be a death of finances, could be a death of energy, vitality, any level, right, where there's hurt, where there's pain, where there's suffering. And we say, this part of the human experience we do not enjoy. And, and so for many of us, we want spirituality as a means of escape from Suffering, and it's just the, the ego's way of getting out of here. Right? And so, people that engage spirituality, you got a group waiting on the rapture. <laughs> oh, it's getting worse and worse. That's a sign Jesus is going to take us out of here. But you got another group that just wants to go into heaven. Now think about this for a minute, saints. Like, we want to send, we want to go to heaven, we want to, we want to walk through walls. I saw somebody this week, you know, well, so-and-so walks through walls. First of all, I don't believe that. I don't care who said it. And secondly, to what end? 
Like, I got way better things to do with my life, like sit down and eat a good meal. <laughs> like, go to a movie. Like, I don't know. Play with my kids. Like, why do I want to waste my time trying to so spiritualize my molecules that I can walk through a wall like Jesus did? Give me a freaking break. Somebody else going around turning water into wine. Well, I guess that's great if you don't live by a liquor store. And you're broke. <laughs> Have at it. At least you're embracing some carnal pleasure in the process. I guess. I got to get into the heavens. Why? I mean, really, think about this. Why? Well, because we got to get in the courtroom. Because <laughs> you know the saints up there and the angels ain't doing nothing. Think about how dumb that is. God has a courtroom and you somehow got to leave your body and ascend to get something to happen. When God has millions of saints and angels, what are they doing? Why can't they be doing all that stuff up there? I mean, think. Let me, let me leave you with this for those of you that don't want to be human. Because part of your own being a temple is to accept that I'm human. If you believe that you existed in eternity past as a spirit being with God. Or at the very least, if you believe that you're going to have eternal life in heaven with God after you die, you only get to be a human being right now. Now think about eternity past. Compare your 50, 60, whatever, 30, 20 years to eternity past. Or if you don't believe you had a pre-existence, compare it to eternity going forward. How small of a window of opportunity do you have to be a human being? How small of an opportunity do you have to enjoy... Oh my God, I'm going to say this. Forgive me, God. I mean... The pleasures of the flesh. And I'm talking about steak and... Chocolate and whatever your thing is, wine, whatever. If you're in Colorado, maybe partaking of the local produce. <laughs> but think about it. it. Yeah, absolutely. Just have the chili festival. Chili and frijoles. Think about it. Why in the world then are you spending so much effort trying to get where you're going to be for all eternity anyway instead of taking advantage of the opportunity even with all its negative side effects? (laughs) I'm not talking about local produce. I'm talking about, I'm talking about people dying. I'm talking about, (laughs) people are looking at me like, that's not what I mean. I don't mean, Know what I mean? I mean, there are side effects to being a human being that are unpleasant. Are, are we tracking now? Are we back on track? So why wouldn't you embrace the power of your humanity, the experience of your humanity, the opportunity to be human, if you're going to spend the rest of eternity in heaven? Why are you trying so hard to get up there instead of be down here? 
and be an expression of the divine while you're down here. An expression of the divine nature while you're down here. Everything about Jesus was incarnational, man. He didn't tell you get out of here. He said get involved. He, he, he didn't give you a class on how to... Do this spiritual stuff, spiritual warfare. Where's Jesus' conference on spiritual warfare? All right, I'm done. God bless you. I know I made people out there unhappy. Not in here, but I'm not, I'm not try, I don't know what I'm trying to do, but anyway, God bless you. Have a great day. Go enjoy your humanity this week. Go enjoy your humanity and your divinity. God bless you.